I'm a manager at an escape room, and it finally happened. A group beat my new puzzle room. Some background on this before I delve into the story might be needed. My occupational history, while varied, focused primarily on art endeavors and event planning. Probably the reason the struggling local escape room business favored my resume over other candidates. No, I won't give you the name of the business, but rest assured that you've heard of it. Or will soon. See, I got the job about two months ago after beating all three of their existing rooms in under 30 minutes apiece. Alone. For those uninitiated few, most escape rooms give you a one-hour limit and provide you with hints throughout to keep your progress moving, and many invite groups as large as 10 to participate in the experience. Hey, being a trivia whiz actually paid off for once in my life, so sue me. I was given the task of designing a fourth room for the company to try and boost sales, and I promised to give the owner the ultimate in-room experiences. I suppose I lived up to that promise, if nothing else. With the impending Halloween season in mind, I began to draw up plans for puzzles, riddles, set designs, and all the associated embellishments they would require, along with a new twist the introduction of employee actors into the room as an integrated part of the group. These individuals could be incorporated in two ways, either as a paying customer or as an integral plot element to the room's story, depending on the makeup of the actual paying group. We cleared out the basement of the building for this new addition, and I drafted up plans for three distinct variations to be reviewed and ultimately selected by the owner. The Haunted Tomb, Lair of Nosferatu, and Dante's Inferno. She decided to move forward with the Inferno theme, hoping the edgier nature would draw more people during the normally slow fall season. If you aren't familiar, most escape rooms are quite family-friendly, if boring for younger kids, and it was working against this model that we were hoping to draw a new crowd. It worked. After a month of off-hour renovations and new training programs implemented for the existing employees, as well as hiring two trained actors and a makeup artist, the new room was ready for business. Now, I'm generally not one to toot my own horn, but the design was slicker than the water off a duck's ass. Crimson colors, black furniture with all the necessary modifications for trap doors and secret compartments, murals on the walls of nightmarish landscape, even a completely redesigned torture rack that would be manned by one of our new actors. The room looked like it walked right out of Eli Roth's wet dreams when we were done with it. The puzzles were nearly unbeatable as well. It opened up at the beginning of August and was immediately booked up solid for the season, as far out as the middle of November. It was covered on the news. We invited all the biggest brains, everyone we knew, to beat the room. The best part? No one could. Inferno went 123-0. Remarkably, with no complaints about the difficulty. People saw it as a challenge, a true experience. The ambience, the actors, the puzzles. Everyone who stepped foot in that room raved about it, even though it bested every single one. Until today. As of 1.37pm Eastern Standard Time on August 26, 2019, Inferno was the undeniable champion of escape rooms. As of 1.38, the first group escaped. It was an unassuming family of four who finally escaped. A father and mother in their mid-fifties, just past their prime enough to be sporting wrinkles, 
but enough of a curiosity to be excited. An older son who had to be verging on 20, who carried with him an air of intellectual superiority reserved for a seasoned escape room pro, and a teenage daughter in the blackest hoodie I'd ever seen, with the eyeliner and attitude to match. I paired them up with Rachel, our best actor, who I knew could really sell her role as a tortured Denzian of hell. Rachel took her place in the torture rack before I admitted the group to the room. I watched the group's progress on our monitors from the floor above, knowing that Rachel, once freed, would be providing most of the clues to the participants, just enough to keep them going, but not enough to solve the major puzzles and riddles. They were greeted with a dark room and Rachel's mock screams of anguish. Unfazed, the goth daughter managed to whip through the first three easy puzzles and get the key to free Rachel, who took up her accustomed place in the corner, rocking back and forth as if traumatized. Though the audio wasn't great in our system, I knew she would be muttering the answer to the next part under her breath. They were sitting at below average time of 22 minutes when the son managed to open the secret chamber at the back of the room. Even I was impressed. Here is where things started to get odd. The monitors started cutting in and out, obscuring my view of the room for precious seconds at a time. Rachel was up and wandering around like she was lost, going off script for the first time since she was hired, to the best of my knowledge. Between flickers of static, I saw the parents putting their collective knowledge together to gain access to a scorched chest in the newly opened part of the room. Red light poured into the darkened room as its contents were revealed. Rachel's face suddenly appeared directly in front of the main camera, but I couldn't make out what she was saying. The audio must have gone on the fritz as well. Her eyes had a strange glassy sheen to them. The family rooted around the chest and within another two minutes they had completed the next part of the challenge. That was when I heard it. Thuds like the footfalls of a giant creature coming from the basement and almost loud enough to feel in the center of your chest, like the bass drum at the front row of a rock concert. It was not normal, not part of the experience. The family, for their part, didn't seem to notice, but Rachel, a veteran of this room, did. Her face was now filled with fear. They were 35 minutes in and on the brink of beating Inferno, not only were they close, but the time was almost unbelievable. The entire building shuddered as the last lock was removed from the door. The lights in the room cut out completely. Here was the final test. Few had made it this far. One ultimate test to open the door to freedom. I called it the sacrifice. Now let me explain, as it will come up soon, I'm sure. In the very first cabinet is a bottle of pig's blood, kept fresh by a local butcher shop. This is hinted at by a poem emblazoned on the exit door, and the handle of the door contains a moisture-sensitive compound that extends when a certain amount of liquid is introduced. This allows the internal mechanism of the handle to align and be turned, quite ingenious if I do say so myself. The lights in the room flickered back on momentarily, and I gasped. The daughter had a pocket knife. In between fits of static, I watched her slide it across her open palm. She grasped the handle and turned it. White light flooded the room and the cameras cleared at last. There was a huge dark shadow at the back of the room, looming like a thundercloud. 
the family, along with Rachel, ran out the door. The time was 1.38 p.m. Inferno had been beaten in the strangest way I could have imagined. I took the steps two at a time down to the staging area immediately outside the escape room to congratulate the family on their victory, and to check on the girl's injured hand, of course. Only there was no one, no family, no Rachel. As of writing this, the police are still searching the building and reviewing the security footage from inside and outside Inferno. But they're gone. They escaped. I just don't know where. Today marks the 20th anniversary of my father's death, taken away by a single, senseless act. It just so happens that today is also my birthday. He'd been working late, as he often did, regardless of birthdays or holidays. I understood it was painful memory for him. I understood it was a painful memory for him. And though our relationship had always been a bit strained, I never blamed him for making a living. Because as a single father, he had a lot on his mind, and I respected that. That night on my 18th birthday, my father was hit by a drunk driver on his way home. He never even made it to the hospital. His insides were so utterly torn to pieces by the impact that he simply died before the paramedics could even show up. A few weeks after the funeral, I was trying to piece together the legal mess that comes following someone's death, inheritance, and so on. It certainly wasn't anything a teenager should have to deal with, but I was alone. No close family. No one to guide me through the world. Ironically, his lawyer seemed to know more about my father than myself. After dealing with whatever assets left behind, he'd been given a set of instructions, all prepared by my father should he meet an untimely demise. I signed all the necessary documents and was given some advice on how to survive the loss of a loved one. Then I received a letter. It was wrapped in a beautiful silver envelope, only decorated with my name. I opened it careful not to rip it apart, and started reading. Dear Richard, I'll start this letter by admitting to one undeniable truth. I'm not a good man, and I've been an even crappier father. I've made plenty of mistakes, left too many things unsaid. I could make up the excuse that I'm simply a product of my time and the people that raised me, but I'll cut through the bullcrap and just apologize. Your mother died while giving birth. It's a hard fact to live with, and though I've seemed cold at times, I need you to know that I never blamed you for any of it. How could I? You came into this world as a beautiful little creature, never asking for life, yet appreciating every moment of it. I'm writing this on your birthday. You've just turned 18, and I'm staying behind at work to finish this up. I don't think I'll hand it to you yet. I'm still not done dealing with my own issues. But I promise that as soon as I'm able to man up, I'll tell you all the things I should have as you grew up. That I'm proud of you. That I love you. Uh, I wish I could say this to your face, but I'm a coward. Taught myself that emotions are for the weak. So, so, so for now... 
I'll put this on paper. It'll be waiting among my other things and my last will and testament, should anything ever happen to me. But that'll hopefully be many years from now. And by then, you won't even need this letter to remind you. You're a better man than me, Rick. I hope you know that. I'm sorry I haven't been a better father, but I promise I'll change. I love you. Dad. My father had died the same day he wrote that letter. He probably instructed the secretary to send the letter to his lawyer in the morning. I don't really know how else they would have gotten a hold of it. I read the letter a couple of more times before folding it neatly back up. Then I just sat down on the floor and cried. I kept it together for so long. I never shed a tear as the police officer handed me the news, and I continued my cold appearance throughout the funeral proceedings. Because he was right, we'd never been close, and I never thought he loved me. But hearing these simple words, though only from a piece of paper, was far more than I could handle. I dug up some old photo albums from my childhood, sifting through them and realizing he always seemed happy, smiling wide in each photo as I turned the pages. Seeing those memories in a new light truly broke my heart. We'd left so much unsaid, but all the emotions were there, shown through the smiles on our faces and the moments we shared. That's what truly mattered. Not the words that could have been said, but the time spent together. And that would have been it. My father had passed and life moved on. I kept the small house for myself. It was already bought and paid for, and I kept on with my studies. Then one year later on my birthday, I received another letter. It was in a beautiful silver envelope just like the last one, encased in a pattern of vines and bizarre-looking symbols, just small enough to remain hidden at first glance. In the center, it simply said my name, written crudely, but not without charm. His handwriting was unmistakable. The letter without a doubt came from my father. But how had he sent it one year past his demise? I thought about it briefly and figured he must have instructed his lawyer to send a letter on my birthday each year. It sounded unlike something he would have done, but I'd already been surprised the last year. So I just opened it and started reading. Dear Richard, where do I begin? I'm not even sure if this letter will reach you considering where I am, but I'm giving it a shot anyway. It's been exactly one year since my death, though I have to admit, time works a bit differently here. It feels like a hundred years have passed since you turned 18, yet I know that for you, only one year has gone by. I'm not much of a poet, but I'm sure not even Edgar Allan Poe could have found the words to describe the beauty of this place. It's simply put, unbelievable. You need to know that I never suffered. The car hit me at such a speed that it killed me instantly. No pain, nor any memory from the incident. My world just disappeared. And a moment later, I woke up surrounded by the most beautiful light. Where here is, I'm not exactly sure. I suppose it's heaven, though I can't say exactly what I did to deserve such a gift. It's like a city stretching endlessly as far as I can possibly see. Buildings, spires, covered in silver, that stretch up into the sky, hiding among the clouds above. 
perfectly constructed, and each magnificent in their own way. There are no horizons here. The world only ends when it's too far away to comprehend, just tiny figures dancing in the distance. But it's beautiful nonetheless, enveloped in colors I never knew existed. It's perfect. We don't feel hunger, thirst, nor tiredness, yet the food is bountiful and always tastes exquisite. I don't need it, but it's a joy to feast nonetheless, never feeling too full, never gaining nor losing weight. There are some things I can't tell you. The guards, or angels, I'm not sure what to call them, but they're telling me I have to follow the rules. Upon asking, they simply scoffed and told me to figure it out on my own. They're certainly not the beautiful creatures I expected them to be, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is I'm looking for your mother, but in an endless city that's easier said than done. There's really no register here, so no one can actually tell me where to find anyone. Though I suppose with eternity ahead of me, I'll just have to keep looking. The population is strangely scattered here, and none I spoke to have been here for more than five years. I suspect there's some kind of hierarchy in place, or maybe we have to wander further into the city to find our loved ones. It's a lot to take in, and wish I could tell you more, but now I need to go. In any case, I love you, Rick. I wish I had said that while I was still alive, but at the very least, this is better than nothing. Love, Dad. I wasn't sure how to react. Sure it was his handwriting, but it had to be some kind of choke. I called up his old lawyer and asked if he'd sent the letter on behalf of my father. He denied it, saying his job had ended the moment I signed over my father's remaining assets here on Earth. Next, I turned to the few friends I had, interrogated them about the letter without revealing its content. They acted innocent, which made me feel guilty. They'd been great as long as I've known them. They're always there for me, and without them I couldn't have survived the passing of my father. So without any further solutions, I let it go. I put the letter alongside the rest of my father's belongings and forced myself to move on. I almost forgot. I truly did. Then the third letter arrived, yet again on my birthday exactly one year later. Dear Richard, I found her. After an impossibly long search, I finally found her. Your mother, Helen, the love of my life. I knew she had to be here. She'd always been one of the best people I knew. I guess I should explain. As I said in my last letter, time doesn't flow as you'd expect. At least not here. Despite that, we keep track of it just like we do back on Earth. I suppose it makes it easier to look out for our loved ones. It just feels longer. Your mother, she's not exactly herself. I found her on top of one of the spires. Rick, I've never seen her like this. She looks nothing like the woman I knew and loved before, yet I know it's her. I can feel it in my heart. She's so skinny, emaciated, and on the brink of starvation. I didn't even realize that could happen. I myself haven't eaten in weeks, yet I feel completely fine. She just keeps repeating the same sentences over and over. I don't understand. I tried to be good. What did I do wrong? I tried to convince her to leave with me, but she doesn't even recognize who I am anymore. And I can't simply force her. Believe me, I tried. 
Up here, it's just impossible to do anything to anyone against their will. I realized that when I tried to write about what I saw on the first day, but found that I couldn't form the words. It's hard to describe, but we have free will here as long as we follow the rules. Anything else is literally impossible. The angels turned their attention to me after I hung around your mother for more than a few days. They told me to leave her alone. I tried to explain, but they wouldn't listen. I had to leave her, Rick. I couldn't stand to see her like that, but I'll keep checking up on her, I promise. Once I tried the few ideas I could think of, some other people are here for help, but most of them are like myself, new and clueless. The few veterans I've found only tell me to let it be, that I'll get in trouble if I keep messing around. I've got to go now. They're looking at me. I love you, Rick. I hope we don't see each other too soon. Just live a good life. It's far too short. His handwriting seemed to rush towards the end. I must have read the letter a dozen times, trying my best to figure out what was going on. Since I had no means of tracking the letter, I couldn't do much other than listen to my gut. As strange as it might sound, I believed every word I read. I decided I would respond, that I would write to my dad and see what happened. Honestly, I felt kind of stupid as I put the letter down on my doorstep, expecting it to magically vanish during the night. But even the smallest chance of contacting the afterlife was one worth taking. Of course, when I opened the door the following day, it was still there, mushy with smudged ink from a small storm that passed during the night. Defeated, I could do nothing but wait for another year to pass. As my birthday rolled around, I hatched a plan to catch whoever delivered the letters. I camped outside of my garden waiting for the culprit. Hours passed. I waited from the early hours, and as midday arrived, I decided to call it quits and head back inside. There it lay on the other side of my front door, on top of my slippers, a perfect silver envelope with my name written on it. Dear Richard, I have found someone willing to answer my questions. They claim they've kept an eye on me for some time, but that I wasn't ready to see them, hoping I'd one day come around. I'm not exactly sure what they meant by ready, but they say that until I see what this place truly is, I won't understand. Unlike my other companions, these people weren't smiling. They didn't seem healthy, but appeared as sickly, twisted human beings that have long since forgotten who they once were. They gave me a heads up, though, the time only passes as fast as we need it to. That a year can feel like a century, or it can pass by in a week, whatever that means. They mention something they simply refer to as the dome. They say it's in the center of this city, an almost impossible distance away. They offer to take me there once I'm ready, but I can't. I need to stay. I have to take care of your mother. Of course, the Silver City still stands tall and magnificent, but the food has lost its taste. Drinks just feel unnecessary. I've indulged on occasion, trying to recreate the feelings I had when I first arrived here, but to no avail. My only purpose now is to find a way of reconnecting with your mother. I know I can get through to her. I just need to find a way. While I search for answers, I still visit her from time to time just to sit by her side as she stares off into the distance. 
Maybe one day I'll get a glimpse of what occupies her mind. And hopefully she knows that she's not alone. I know she's utterly broken. But as long as I'm able to, I'll protect her. I promise you that. Happy birthday, Rick. I'm happy I have the opportunity to stay in touch. Even if it's impossible for you to respond. I love you, Dad. That's how my life went on from then. Each year on my birthday, my father sent me a silver letter. Just updates from the afterlife, and as bizarre as it felt, I felt happy to have a connection with my dad. Though I had been partially tainted by the image of my sickly mother standing atop a spire. On the 15th anniversary of my father's death, my life had taken a drastic turn for the better. I'd just gotten engaged to the love of my life after five years. This all came on top of a promotion at work. All in all, life seemed to be going my way, and my birthday was just around the corner. And as always, I eagerly awaited my silver letter. There it was, lying on the doorstep, except rather a perfectly smooth envelope with vines and symbols engraved onto the surface. I found a crumpled piece of paper, one covered in erratic handwriting, incomprehensible phrases and drawings. Richard, she's gone now, your mother, Helen. I went back to the spire. I had an idea, but she simply vanished, leaving nothing behind, no trace that she ever existed. I knew something was wrong even before getting there. The buildings have always seemed impossibly tall, but that time I just couldn't get up the stairs. They kept going for days, weeks of climbing, and I once finally reached the top. I was alone. I have searched the entire section of the city, climbed each building to the top, asked whatever person willing to talk to me. I don't know what to do. I haven't eaten anything since we last spoke a year ago, nor have I had a drink. I don't sleep. I don't do anything other than search for her. I wanted to send you a letter earlier. I needed to tell you what happened, but I had to wait. Because of the rules. Those damned rules. A few weeks ago, I approached one of the guards. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before, but if heaven was real, then God had to be somewhere up here. I asked the guard about it, and he laughed at me. He touched me on the shoulder and whispered a few incomprehensible words in my ear. It was like a veil was lifted off me. I could truly see this place for what it is. A concrete jungle with a sky so dark, I don't know how I didn't notice before. The buildings around me, once what I would consider works of art, so perfect. A creation that simply couldn't be built by man. I finally see them for what they are. Old, run-down concrete prisons on the brink of collapse. They should have fallen long, long ago, yet there they stand, defying all logic. A pitiful sight to behold. The people I came here with have long since gone. All of them are heading towards the dome. In their place, I'm finding more and more people who've been here for an eternity. Hundreds, thousands of years. And they all seem the same. They all are deceased, whatever features they once had. Whoever they once were, it doesn't matter anymore. They've simply existed for far too long. An eternity of time to wash away what once made them human. I think it's time for me to wander through the Silver City. 
Maybe I just need to reach the dome. Maybe I can find your mother there. Maybe I can finally get some answers. Whatever the cost, I can't go on like this. I'm not sure how long it will be until I send another letter. The road towards the dome is different, but this is just something I have to do. I hope you understand. Dad. Five years passed without another silver letter. The first year I was worried, the second I felt scared. But as the third and fourth rolled around, I felt relieved. It was as if a heavy burden had been lifted off my shoulders. I'd never been much of a religious person before my father died, yet I never feared death. But now, and knowing what awaited me on the other side, wasn't the perfect heaven we'd all been taught about, I felt horrified. As guilty as it still makes me feel, I never wanted to receive another letter from my father. Then, we arrive at today, my birthday. It's the 20th anniversary of my father's death. As a habit, the first thing I did in the morning was to check the front door. There on the ground lay a silver envelope. I picked it up in uncomfortable anticipation. My heart raced as I held it with trembling hands. Crudely drawn pictures covered the front, symbols I couldn't decipher, and a drawing of a dome-like structure surrounded by bizarre shapes that I assumed to be twisted spires. On the inside, I found another letter. It was filled with meaningless phrases, jumbled words, and sentences I couldn't understand. It was a mess of erratic handwriting, nonsensical and horrifying. From the several pages filled to the brim with text of varying sizes, all I could make out was the following. They gave us everything we wanted, all the imaginable pleasures of the world and more, only to take it away piece by piece until there was nothing left but the memory of better times. A cruel joke played on us by whatever creature rules this place. I thought this was heaven, but it's not. I'm in hell. We're all in hell. But it's not a punishment. It never was. It's just all there is is... Death is the beginning of a nightmare that never ends, and there's no way out. No alternative. I'm going to enter the dome now. I don't know what I'll find on the other side, but I feel this will be my last letter I ever send you. Enjoy what you have left in life, Richard, because once it's over, you'll be right here by my side. Thank you for making it this far. I hope you enjoyed the video. I just wanted to quickly let you know about a couple things I have going on. I have an Instagram where I post more personal things about who I am. It isn't just all creepy stuff. You can find me at Stories After Midnight. I also have a Twitter where I mainly retweet and like things I find interesting. The handle for that is in the description, but it is S underscore A underscore Midnight. I should really find another one because that's hard to say. If you really like what I'm doing, consider joining the Midnighters. That's my growing community where we hang out and have fun and talk about cats. You can find a link to our Discord in the description below. We'd love to see you there. Other than that, it'd make me happier than a cat on a table full of antique glassware if you'd like the video and consider sticking around for more. We'll see you in the next one.